0: Welcome to the battleground, Wisconsin. My name is Matt Bruskin. and I'm the deputy director here at Citizen Action of Wisconsin. And welcome to another beautiful spring here in Wisconsin. We have our full panel with us, which means Claire Zauke, our healthcare director, is with us. Claire, it's great to see you.
1: Thank you. It's great to see you too.
0: And see you means I'm seeing you on Zoom again. Yep. I Jesus, we're well into the our our first full year of podcast on Zoom and. That means Robert Craig is also on Zoom from his home. Robert Craig, our executive director here at Citizen Action. Robert, good to see you.
2: Greetings to our digital and radio audiences. And happy well, spring to Wisconsin.
0: Yes. Yes. It is, it is definitely spring. Uh the Badgers certainly got through the first round, but uh you know, we're done. So it's, that means spring is here, right? Uh, Winter is over.
2: I Uh, thought they played very well though. Baylor was a damn good team. So I thought the Badgers acquitted themselves well in the tournament.
0: That's right. And that is for the other podcast we do. We'll, we'll talk about the Baylor bears versus the Badgers, but Robert, I need you to talk about one of our favorite Badgers here. Our, 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 our trader Badger, maybe we could call him our QAnon Badger. Uh, Q on Ron Johnson. Um, look, last week we had intended to spend a little bit more time talking about the circus of a week nationally that Ron Johnson has, has had, quite frankly, now we could say for the last month, uh, but we had so much else to talk about. Robert, there are some things that you wanted to at least convey to our listeners about Ron Johnson uh, that we were unable to talk about last week. I wanted to give you that opportunity to start the show since this U.S. Senate race that's going to be next year in Ron Johnson, it's it's going to be huge. It's going to be one of the biggest races nationally. What, what do you want us to know about Ron Johnson?
2: Well, I, I think our listeners are tuned in. So they've been following, and you can't not follow Ron Johnson if you just turn on, if you read a newspaper, turn on any cable news program. He has replaced um, Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley as the leader, really, of the Trumpist insurrectionist caucus in the in the state set, in the U.S. Senate, excuse me. And there tends to be a frame there that he's just off his rocker, that that he's nuts. And I do think we have to ask the questions here question here, is he is he is he lost his mind, or is this now a really smart, viable political strategy within the modern Republican Party, given the malignant uh, Proto-fascist, fascistic, at least conservatism that we're facing now, and so I think that this could make him a very formidable opponent. Because remember, Trump got massive turnout. That's why the polls in Wisconsin were so wrong. So this stuff works and turns out a bunch of irregular voters that are out uh, that, that are that that otherwise don't vote and will not vote for a more conventional Republican candidate. So there's oh. that question that.
0: Robert, you've drawn me in immediately. You've drawn me okay. in. I'm, I'm going to interrupt you. I actually had this very conversation with a, a, a national political professional this week about what he was up to, and it makes perfect sense. I'll remind our listeners, and I'll throw it back to you, Robert. It is an off-year election next year, which means turnout is down. Traditionally, turnout will be down anywhere from a half to two-thirds of what a presidential election is. So Motivating a base means something, Robert.
2: So in a tough reelect, in a 50-50 state, this might be the best play for a Republican candidate moving forward, a new normal, uh, as daffy as it seems. Uh, The second thing is people have called out the racial component of his his, uh, notorious claim that he felt safe during the Capitol insurrection but wouldn't have felt safe if it was Black Lives Matter and, and or Antifa. And here's the thing, I mean, people, of course, have run, uh, understandably, like Moth of the Flames to the obvious uh, uh, racial element of that comment. I want to point out that it's only a less artful version of what is now standard conservative discourse, that is, strategic racism, coded dog whistle appeals. It's just not that well coded. What's really interesting about Donald Trump is that there's good research to believe that it actually was coded for his audience, not just for us. And then our reaction to Donald Trump actually was part of his drama. So it was sort of it it played differently with different audiences. So Johnson's code may not seem like overt, um, illegitimate racism to his voters. That's very important, even though it does to us and our reaction may actually play in to the politics of this, because modern Republican voters, because of all this kind of othering and building up of hatred, um, are motivated by negative partisanship. So if the other side is attacking Ron Johnson, ipso facto, he must be good. I would say one other thing. And by the way, just for example, the Assembly Republicans, no media has called him out, them out for this I know, I, that I know of want to turn down the $1.6 billion now, the enhanced amount for badger care expansion, because they won't expand welfare. Sorry, that's straight out coded racism. It actually benefits more white people than people of color in this state, but that is strategic racism as effective and as immoral as what Ron Johnson said, but the media just treats it as normal discourse. And and, And so do too many people. But the final thing I want to say about race is, The shocking thing to me is not that there was a racial code, but that people didn't jump on the fact that he even suggested that if Trump had lost, there would have been a Black Lives Matter Antifa insurrection that took over the Capitol. That's the part that's fanciful. It's nothing like the peaceful Black Lives Matter movement that they have tried to vilify and lie about. And that is the biggest lie in it, not the the less artful use of dog whistle racism.
0: Thank you, Robert, for that. I think the clear point that we want to remind our listeners is this, this Senate race what is going to be huge, and it is our analysis, I'll just say it's my analysis, that we're going to need an equally mobilized uh, Democratic Party progressive movement uh, in a race like this, and, and our candidate will matter. Uh, to doing that. Ron Johnson is certainly trying to align himself, as Robert said, to make sure he has a motivated base. But with that, folks, we are going to switch a little bit here. Claire, I, I'm going to come to you because next week's a big week for us. It's a huge week, and I want to make sure all of our listeners are fully educated on it. We are doing a big healthcare week of action around the state budget. Claire, give our listeners the highlights. We're going to talk a lot more, not only about this week of action, but other things related to it in the legislature. Claire, Healthcare Week of Action, big deal next week, right?
1: Yes, we're very excited about this. Uh, so we are running a healthcare week of action around the state budget, and uh, we, you know, we really wanted to uh, get this a uh, week of action in before the Joint Finance Committee started their uh, public hearings on the state budget, because as we all know, the JFC has made the uh, the public hearings around the budget really inaccessible for most folks in the state. Um, they're having a few in person um, hearings that will surely be um, unsafe for most people to attend, and even if that weren't the case, they're really um, inaccessible for a lot of folks uh, just geographically um, in the state. And then, of course, there's only one virtual uh, public hearing that, and so everybody from every urban area in the state. plus everybody who would want to participate virtually is all gonna be funneled to this one hearing. So so we wanted to make our own opportunity for our voices to be heard in this process. And that's exactly what we're doing next week. So um, we are having a constituent lobby day. We're having a training in partnership with Main Street Alliance, which mobilizes small business owners across the state in support of a progressive agenda. that's happening on Tuesday, the thirtieth. Plus, we're having um, half a dozen virtual uh, press conferences and roundtables talking about um, all of the wonderful and important healthcare provisions that are in the governor's budget. Um, and you know, we're we're hoping to mobilize um, and have planned to mobilize hundreds of people around the state um, in support of these actions. It's it's really really exciting. Um, plus, you know, we're pushing people to contact their state let- uh, legislators. Oh for email and on the phone about everything from um, prescription drug reform by supporting the prescription drug affordability office and board that the governor proposed um, to badger care expansion which I'm sure we're going to talk about more in a few minutes to um, a badger care uh, public option which um, the governor laid a pathway for creating in his budget and of course the governor's uh, really important caregiving agenda to support family caregivers and raise the wages of direct care workers so there's a lot of really good stuff in there that we're supporting um, and if you and if you want to, to send emails to your legislators just go to the city Citizen Action website, and on the front page of our website, citizenactionwi.org, there is a Healthcare Action Hub um, button um, that you that you can click, and then there's all the links in there where you can email your legislators.
0: I will also put a link to that right on our web page with the podcast, so you can, uh, can 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 reach out to your legislators. Um, we're gonna take our first break, but uh, Claire, I do want. You to if, if there's a way, if if we have members who want to get more active and actually try to either set up a meeting with their legislator, um, how folks could maybe get involved to more directly engage their legislature, legislator, right after this break. Again, we're citizen action. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. Be right back. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We are talking about big healthcare week of action next week around the state budget. There are lots of huge opportunities in the state budget. Uh, Claire laid them out. We also have places on our website uh, that will link to the podcast where you can take action and, you know, email and contact your state legislator. But Claire, one of the big things we really want folks to do next week is, is try and actually uh, directly engage. uh, We're, we're saying through zoom, uh, but talk more about that how wh- what are we really hoping more people will take advantage of next week in terms of direct outreach to their state legislators
1: yeah we think it's really important in particular this year that legislators hear directly from their constituents because of course this year um, it you know it'll be it'll be challenging for a lot of people to engage with their legislators in person some legislators aren't holding in person um uh, town hall meetings this year, or if they are, they're not safe. Um, you know, we have a Republican state legislator in the Driftless area who's holding his um, town halls, uh, budget town halls in a biker bar. Um, and, you know, like- It's this, outrageous,
0: this is by the way, that they like, outrageous. Love-
1: Right, we love bikers got nothing against biker bars but like it's just not a safe environment to force people to go to during a pandemic in order to engage their legislators. So this year it's really, really important that we are proactive in reaching out to our legislators on our terms to hold meetings um, and they have to say yes, they have to hear from us, um, it is their responsibility um, and so. That's why that's why we are organizing folks um, in this way. Um, so if you want to engage with us in this process, um, whether it's in our week of action next week as part of our coordinated constituent lobby days or in sort of moving forward, we're happy to help facilitate these meetings if you need that kind of support. Um, I would say, first of all, if you happen to know who your local citizen action co-op organizer is, just reach out to them directly. And if not, go to that citizen action healthcare action hub, um, link that matt is going to put in the podcast description and that is on our website and um, it, in that action hub there is a lobby day sign up link and if you fill out that form then within a day or so a citizen action staff member will reach out to you about hooking you up with a lobby team in your area
0: that sounds great thank you claire for laying all that out again folks taking actions very important robert so all right I'm sure there's a number of people who are listening to Claire and they said, all right, Claire, that sounds great. But uh, didn't Robin Voss, 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 last week or the week before, whatever, declare that this is dead in the water? Now, why should I spend all my time lobbying for Badger Care expansion or anything if these jokers are just going to say no? I mean, so why should why should people be listening to Claire and responding? And why, why should we not listen to Boss Voss?
2: Let me try to state an old adage that uh, George W. Bush famously flubbed. That is, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me, right? He ended up getting caught up on the second part and said, don't get fooled again um, after stuttering, very quite famously. So-
0: Brian, you can cue the Who mu- the Who music.
2: Thanks. So what we've learned in the new proto-fascist conservative model and the reality TV show infused model of Trump politics, we are part of their drama. And when we overreact and scream and yell, that helps them rev up their base. They want us to do it. They want to get our goat. So, of course, they're going to come out and say, we'll never do it. We'll never do it. It's welfare. And by the way, you know, someone like this audience is infuriated because that's coded racism and they do They're, they're they're fine with all the rest of the big Medicaid program. Apparently it's just this welfare. That's going to cost us $1.6 billion and deny over 90,000 people healthcare during a pandemic. And they're the lowest income folks just above the poverty line. So we get upset, but that plays into their position. They are, so we not, we should not get fooled. We should not um, overreact. Here's what we need to understand. They did it out of weakness because they have an even weaker hand now, because now they're giving away even more money. They have no good argument whatsoever. The polls are against them and there's the money question. But then there's the redistricting question. This is the first time in 10 years that every single Republican legislator does not know what their district will look like for their reelection. And remember, what they care about is their self-preservation. And so where they felt protected by the gerrymander before, a number of them can no longer feel protected. And you're beginning to see some of that uh, in the ones that are in areas that are close to bluer areas and have essentially been written into red areas by the maps. And, and you're seeing that, being to see that already. Secondly, they have to, because of that, care about constituent contacts. And they care a lot more if they are not in Madison, for example, that people in their district are hearing this and know what they're doing, then they care about what someone's saying in Madison. In fact, someone like, a, like a, a classic liberal person in Madison is actually part of their drama and they can try to make look ridiculous. And I would, when you're making your phone calls and getting others and, uh, to, to make phone calls who are in Republican districts. If you're a Democratic district, do call your Democratic legislators because that revs them up more on this issue. It still matters. But if you know people in Republican districts, get them to call. That's going to matter. This is very early in the budget process. And by the way, let's say they still do it again. Well, there are a lot more voters who know what they did and the only accountability on these folks is to remove them from office. Now that we know the Republicans are going to want to gerrymander the state again, they don't know if they'll get away with it. They're going to try. We've talked about that. We'll continue on Battleground Wisconsin. And it doesn't mean each individual legislator knows he'll be in a totally, he or she will be in a totally safe district, especially the ones in the balance of power areas around suburban areas and suburbs, very broadly speaking. Um, any uh, affluent areas that are traditionally Republican are in the Trump world much more up for grabs than they were before.
1: Yeah, I, you know, I want to say, going back to badger care expansion for a moment, because um, I, I agree with the thing what Robert was saying about gerrymandering and whatnot, um, is that I, th- I think we should not think that there isn't a path forward for uh, badger care expansion in this budget. It's certainly... A big fight, but there's a reason why we're still pushing on this and why we're not treating it as um, as something we can't win, right? Because that's that's not the truth. That's not the case. And I think it's one telling that uh, you know, Robin Voss came out with this nothing of an argument. um, That's that's just sort of an ideological argument that has zero substance to it. The way. Robert mentioned earlier, um, but I think it's telling that just he came out with that statement and that we haven't heard that much out of the state Senate and oppose opposed to this issue. Um, so I think that there is room for us to try to make inroads in the state Senate. Um, and that includes some folks who sit on the Joint Finance Committee, that's uh, going to be the first body to take up the issue of budget care expansion in the budget. So I, I have hope. Um, that, that there is a path forward here. Um, the other thing I wanted to comment on is this idea of uh, sort of dog whistles. And as part of our work with the Race Class Narrative Project and the all in, under the all-in-Wisconsin umbrella, um, we've talked about, you know, how do we respond to dog whistles, um, including words like welfare and expanding the welfare state, which first of all gets my goat because, um, you know, I, I think we should not want everybody to fare well. Um, so uh, the fact that that's been turned into a negative dog whistle really gets my goat. Um, but you know, one of the things that we talk about in the race class project is you know not repeating dog whistles that other people say, and instead um, using values based arguments. So I want to read you a little bit of our messaging guide on the air here, so that when people, when your neighbors, when your legislators use words like uh, welfare to you, you know how to respond from a values based perspective. And so here's what we here's what we say to say. Um, Wisconsinites take care of each other, but today certain politicians are more interested in taking care of their wealthy and corporate backers than they are in making sure that all of us can live a happy and healthy life. We know we have more than enough to make sure that all of us from rural city, rural counties to city blocks are cared for in our state. Together we can expand Badger Care and bring new funds to the state to ensure that all of us in Wisconsin have a home to make memories see a doctor when we're sick and put food on the table. So if somebody somebody comes at you with one of these dog whistling ideological arguments, you know, about how welfare is bad, say, you know, we have enough to provide for all of us and if we could just stand up to you know the certain politicians who are more interested in providing support for wealthy and corporate backers than for their constituents. We could actually take care of everyone in the state. That's my that's my final word on messaging around Badger Care Expansion.
0: Well, folks, the key thing here is is our action. Okay, we need to get involved next week. Um, Robert said it. Contact your friends. Claire has said it. It's very important. Uh, Get involved in our uh, week of action. There's lots of different ways you can get involved, whatever your comfort level. But push yourself. This is very important. Um, What is a big X factor before we break here, I want to add, is we have a governor who's taking a hopefully a very different posture on this budget. He's up for re-election too, let's not forget. He's got to go meet the people in that base Robert talked about. He needs some people to be pretty fired up about him too. So his position in this and what he's willing to push uh, the legis- uh, the Republicans on will matter. Didn't push it last time, this time he might. With that, folks, get out next week. We gotta take a break. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin where Citizen Action, you can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're gonna continue to stay focused on state politics. Uh, Our legislature was busy this week. Uh, In fact, they passed some bills and a number of these bills we'll see. uh, We expect uh, potential vetoes, but um, wanted to get the panel's comments on uh, some of these bills around COVID-19 vaccine mandates. And uh, this uh, had some Democrats actually uh, aligning with Republicans. Claire, uh, what went on here in the Capitol this week that our listeners need to know about?
1: I think the high level uh, summary that the folks should be aware of is that the uh, legislature voted along uh, mostly, as uh, Matt said, party lines with uh, two Democrats supporting them, uh, Representative Sylvia Ortiz from Milwaukee um, and uh, Representative Nick Milroy, um, to uh, prohibit uh, public and private Employers from uh, mandating that employees receive uh, the COVID nineteen vaccine, and uh, what I'll what I'll say is that there was, gosh, it's just so frustrating. I'm trying to gather gather my thoughts to be coherent. Um, you know, Gordon Hinz said it sort of best, I think, in this argument that this is um, this is this is clearly an attempt to undermine the credibility of the, of science and of the COVID-19 vaccines that are being um, so, uh, actually like relatively efficiently distributed by the administration right now um, at a time when like this is our absolute best tool to get the pandemic under control. So it's really a, um, a dangerous uh, sort of anti- anti-vaccine, anti-science narrative that the, that the Republicans are pushing uh, right now. Uh, and, and I'll put it to Robert for more thoughts and, and we can have a little bit of back and forth.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. This is Fox News science over Center for Disease Control science, but it's also a false narrative on freedom. Uh, they believe in employers' rights on everything else. They don't think you should have a right to a union. They've The modern conservatives have done a great deal to frustrate that right. So an employer can still force you to work in the office or fire you. They have that right, but they cannot require you're vaccinated, which means in turn, they can force you to sit next to someone who's refused to be vaccinated. Think about that. This is their bizarre definition of freedom where their what-the-heck attitude, it's sort of a weird libertarian version of who gets to be free and what they get to be free about, because they certainly don't care about your freedom at work otherwise. Uh, And they've decided that it's a great imposition to say that you should be required not to infect other people and their families with a life-threatening virus. You see, it this is the fundamental thing that conservatives and progressives and liberals used to agree, at, agree on 100 years ago, and that is that your rights extend to the point where they infringe on other people's rights. Their view is, I get to do what I want, regardless of the consequences, if I am the chosen group, not the other. Remember, police are for beating down other people, people of color, young people, people who are not uh, not. With us, our team, but the rules are not for us. We can go and have a capital insurrection and 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 have murder and mayhem and and uh, show no respect for police officers. Quite the opposite. So that is what this is part of, and isn't an infantile idea about freedom. And it is, as Claire pointed out, um, anti-science in a way that will discourage people from being vaccinated, whether they were going to be forced. Uh, to, to get a vaccination or not? Do you really want your cashier not to be vaccinated? Do you really want your teacher not to be vaccinated? Uh, do you really want the coworker in the next cubicle not to be vaccinated and have that right, regardless of your rights, regardless of whether you live with a sick, very frail parent? Uh, and the variants are coming, folks. Don't get all about on our side that the vaccine is the great elixir, the, the it's not clear how well the vaccines will work against the variants. And the fact that we have a bunch of folks not vaccinating is allowing the variants to breed, making it worse, again, infringing on everyone else's freedom.
1: Yeah, you know, Robert brought up a good point about, um, uh, you know, the workplace and being, uh, you know, forced to be in a workplace with uh, people who could um, infect you and, uh, you know, I think this is really important to take in context of another bill that uh, Robin Voss is supporting, which is um, a, which would be a requirement that state employees return to their office buildings. And uh, you know, Robin Voss was was on the floor saying that basically he doesn't believe that state employees, his own employees. Um, are are really working when when they're not in the office and so when you take which first of all I mean it's just offensive on on its on its face value as an argument right I mean these are these are public servants who are uh, for the past year have been keeping the state operational and providing uh, much needed services to the people of Wisconsin, while the legislators themselves are the ones who refused to go to work for for nine months, but still collected their salaries. Um, so, so to insinuate that these people are not are not working and dedicated public servants is, is on its face value, um, you know, ridiculous, untrue, and offensive. But then to pair to pair that by saying or with the idea that, and the state should not require folks um, who are state employees and returning to the office to be vaccinated means that you're going to force people to come back to the office and that that office will inherently be unsafe because the state is not requiring um, folks to receive the vaccine in order to return to the office, right? So so when you take these two things together, you get this complete picture of, of uh, sort of just how awful this package of... Uh, legislation is robert
2: and claire why do not why don't these public employees have the right the freedom not to come from work because they're the other yep remember in the rural urban divide that walker exploited public employees are part of the them for conservative voters and so therefore they are by definition lazy and not to be trusted These are incredibly understaffed state agencies because we've had 40 years of austerity politics. It would be noticed if you weren't doing your job in state government. And this is also the thing that says that you should have less influence on the budget writing committee of the legislature, the Joint Finance Committee, because you believe in science and don't want to go to an in-person hearing. So only the folks who believe in Fox News science will feel safe going to the hearing, and that will solve a big problem, just like people voting too much caused a problem for them in 2020. That is, almost everyone who comes to joint finance is against their position. Now they can make it. It's perfect. Unsafe enough, so maybe only the folks who who get their scientific information from Scott Atlas, remember the Fox News guy who ended up in Trump's White House and caused mayhem, uh, Mm -hmm. instead of from Anthony Fauci.
1: Yeah, you know the other thing that the Republicans did um, during this legislative session that I think falls under this uh, like ridiculous, absurd idea that they that they are somehow working harder, which is not true, than um, the other state employees um, is their power grab of trying to steal control over how the COVID-19 relief runs from uh, President Biden's American Rescue Plan will be distributed in the state. I mean, this is a legislature that didn't meet for almost the entirety of 2020 during the pandemic until after they faced elections. Um, and then now all of a sudden they say they're the people who are working so hard that should be have control over distributing these funds. No, it's the governor that held the state together. It's the governor who has been successfully um, sending vaccines out across the state. And, and Robert, what do you think about all this?
2: I mean, the hypocrisy is amazing. By the numbers, this is the laziest full-time state legislature in the country because they barely met or did anything in, during the pandemic last year and it still is a pandemic. Uh, They simply uh, made it harder for Governor Evers to actually address the public health emergency, which they continue to do. All of these bills are also about making it harder to control the virus. They're pro-virus, you could argue. Uh, But if we're going to use their kind of categories, like assume people who aren't present directly in holding, say, a legislative session, are lazy. That's what they're saying about state employees. So they must be just very lazy and they must be irresponsible. And you know what? There's a good case to be made for them because politically they've taken no responsibility for actually addressing this public health emergency. They've simply tried to politicize it, period, because they care about power more than they care about you, more than they care about their own voters. They have no respect for their own voters. They're cannon fodder for them.
0: Well... And that was a great discussion of a lot of what happened in the legislature. And we even missed probably one of Boss's most appalling comments, which was the idea that this legislature could do absolutely nothing about the horrific mass shootings that have been going on in this country, which is, Who knew? Course, Which is of course, appalling. But, folks, we have got to, we've got to wrap up this segment because, uh, look, at the end, it's all about power. For those Republicans, and actually, in our next segment, we're going to talk about how power corrupts. Uh, we'll be joined by Mike Brown, deputy director, with a better uh, Wisconsin together, and uh, we'll do that right after this break. Again, you're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at CitizenActionWI.org. Welcome back the battleground wisconsin again we're citizen action you can find us at citizenactionwi.org we are really fortunate to have a special guest with us Uh, that special guest is mike brown he is the deputy director at a better wisconsin together mike thanks for joining us today hey thanks for having me appreciate the opportunity to talk to y'all well (laughs) we it's a great reason to have you on um the reason we wanted you on is you all did an open records request that um Found some fascinating, fascinating results that uh, uh, speak to problems in this whole system. But uh, tell our listeners a little more about uh, your open records requests and why it's so important.
3: Sure. Well, you know, we've all seen the big lie and the national trend of uh, Republicans introducing a a rash of bills, literally hundreds of bills in state legislatures across the country to restrict voting rights uh, after they lost another election. So we had seen some particularly egregious proposals uh, coming out of Senator Dewey Strobel uh, and a member of the state assembly who's in his district representative, Rob Brooks, uh, decided to make an open records request of their offices just to see kind of what the conversations were around this legislation, where it was coming from, who was suggesting it to them, uh, and, and you know, what was the rationale behind doing some of these things that just seemed to really come out of left field and had no purpose really other than to make it more difficult for people to participate in the democracy. Um, so we filed under the state open records law a request for uh, correspondence around a per- one of one of the particular bills, and we got uh, a response from both offices to their credit. Uh, there was uh, a significant amount of back and forth between them, but the really interesting thing to us was that. Uh, In that back and forth between the two offices, we didn't get the same records from each office. They were having conversations with each other, and we got part of it from one office and a different part of it from the other office, uh, (laughs) which suggested to us there was a problem here in them complying with a very simple open records request. So we contacted our friends at Law Forward, who are doing great work uh, in open government, uh, and they were gracious enough to take a look at what we had found, uh, review the discrepancies, uh, and help us in crafting a letter to both of those offices pointing out that it appeared, uh, for whatever reason, they were not in compliance with uh, the state open records law and asking them uh, firmly yet politely uh, to please comply with the law and provide us with the records that they failed to do so on the first try.
0: Robert, first uh, follow up, and then Claire, you follow right after.
2: Mike, thanks for being on and Thank you to uh, your organization for doing this and to Law Forward as well and Better Wisconsin Together, your organization. A question, I understand they created an exception for themselves in the open records law. That is Republican state legislators applies to all legislators that says that they're allowed to delete records and others are not. Does that play in here? Can they just claim that they that they had a right to delete records and that they each office deleted different things?
3: You know, certainly uh, legislators have exempted themselves from uh, many of the laws that uh, the rest of us are expected to follow. Uh, The open records law being no exception, uh, but a particularly egregious one. Um, You know, they have not offered us any justification at this point as to why it appears they didn't comply with the request or why we got bits of conversations from one office and uh, a different bit of a conversation from the other office. Um, you know, I would be interested to find out what their rationale is. Uh, and if it's that, I think, you know, you're absolutely right, Robert, it really points to a flaw in the law as is, is, as it is currently written. And that is that, you know, we should expect our legislators to be transparent with us, period.
2: And one quick follow up on that. Is there any good reason for that exemption? Is that in the public interest in any way? Or is it another example of right wing conservatives think that rules shouldn't apply to them?
3: You know, I think the real problem here is that there are people who are abusing the exemption. You know, certainly legislators are going to want to have the ability to have frank conversations amongst themselves, or, for example, with drafting attorneys. You know, when they are consulting with the, with with those drafting attorneys, um, you know, or or other attorneys on legal matters, you know, standard confidentiality would apply to them. But giving themselves, I think, a special exemption to hide, you know, to hide their workings. Um, is just not appropriate. You know, I mean, it, it is is—it's public office, and they need to be accountable to the public. Um, and part of that is that when we ask them to provide records um, that are done in their official capacity, uh, we should be able to access them.
1: Thanks. I have a, a couple quick, well, one quick question, and maybe the answer is quick. Um, how how widespread do you think this problem is have have you encountered this before at a better wisconsin together or have you heard of other other folks and other reporters um uh, who are making open records requests experiencing this problem
3: i mean certainly over the years um you know there have been instances where um records have been failed to be have, have, have not been turned over uh that should have been you know i i think um a lot of the other issues that we run into, maybe more frequently, is attempts to deny requests, saying that they're overly broad, um, you know, or to you know charge exorbitant fees for searching for or producing records in an effort to discourage people from um, from from getting them. I think we've seen that, you know, numerous instances of that uh, uh, in in some previous work. You know, the the Walker administration was noted um, for, for, their, for their argumentative stance uh, in terms of replying to open records requests, you know, to try and delay the process, to argue with you that you were asking for too much, that you, they didn't have to provide it, your request was not specific enough. Um, you know, we've seen other instances where citizens um, were charged exorbitant fees. Uh, you know, we've had dealings with uh, Representative Voss's office where um, the bills for relatively sig- insignificant record searches in terms of difficulty uh, have resulted in pretty large bills. Um, so you know, there's, there's certainly some problems with trying to discourage people from, from actually pursuing their requests.
2: Yeah, Mike, uh, it just seems to me that while this may seem technical and legalistic and burdensome, you're people going and asking for things, you're an advocacy group, we are, so it could be framed as political, it just seems to me that open records are vital to democracy, because if you don't know what your unelected legislators are actually doing, where they got their bills, which is part of what you were looking for, was it some national boilerplate, right, coming from some right-wing political operation, rather than anything they actually wrote, that their constituents need to know that, that we not only need districts that are chosen by the people, not by legislator, by politicians, like legislators. We need clear public information on people's records. And, higher, and, and all of this is publicly paid for. The staff is publicly paid for. The legislator is full-time in this state, only one of nine states. And uh, they are doing this on our dime. And then they think they have some right to hide their own operations from others. That seems highly undemocratic and part of the general attack on democracy that we're all very concerned about.
3: Yeah, you know, a couple of excellent... Points there. It, you know, one, uh, in this particular records request, um, there was a mention of that this bill was suggested to Senator Strobel by, quote, a really solid dude, unquote, which suggests there was some interaction uh, regarding this legislation. Um, there were no records provided to us uh, of who this really solid dude was uh, and what his conversations may have been with Senator Strobel or his staff about this particular bill. Uh, so, so that is one interesting uh, omission, uh, it seems. But I think. You know, to your larger point, yes, this is a part of a pattern of the current legislative majority trying to avoid accountability, whether that be, you know, from fulfilling a simple open records request, um, to going as far as, you know, gerrymandering state legislative districts to put themselves in positions where they can't be held accountable at the ballot box, which then circles back to them trying to pass legislation uh, to make it more difficult to hold them accountable at the ballot box, to throw out ballots for, you know, minor clerical errors um, you know, make it, uh, uh, make it harder to return an absentee ballot, but easier to throw it out. Um, it, you know, it's, it's just part of a, a, larger and very disturbing pattern, uh, of unwillingness to be held accountable for their decisions.
0: Well, this is clearly about power and they have uh, demonstrated, a, a great interest in power, but we uh, really appreciate you coming on and, uh, taking the time to tell us about what happened. Super, super important issue. Um, it, Thanks. So, Mike, anything else you want
3: to leave our listeners about this before you go? Well, I mean, I think it's, you know, it points to the importance of citizens uh, being involved in watching what their government is up to. You know, any, for example, anyone can file an open records request. Um, You know, you have the right to hold your legislators accountable and you should demand that they be accountable to you. That's how, how this democracy works. Uh, and I think we've seen that, you know, now more than ever, it is important for citizens to be involved in protecting their democracy uh, from abuses. Well,
0: thanks a ton, Mike Brown, for joining us. And with that, we have got to wrap up this Battleground Wisconsin. We want to thank our producer, Brian Wildridge, who makes this podcast happen every week. And we will see y'all next week here at the Battleground Wisconsin.